This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 9, Episode 13. And welcome to the... To the, to the <laughs> I did this two weeks ago, Gabe. Stumbling over my words. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. Brought to you by Guns.com. Uh, today's episode, uh, super excited to have with us a special guest. You see him here, those of you watching the video feed. His name is Gabe New. And we'll do a proper introduction here momentarily. Uh, but uh, folks, thank you for tuning in, for being a part of the show. Uh, today's episode is going to be sponsored by KSG Armory Holsters. That's KSGArmory.com for a website. And uh, we'll talk some more about that. Uh, and I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on it actually probably more than once throughout this episode at some point. And then also today's episode sponsored by the Guardian Conference. And we're talking about the 2024 Guardian Conference in September of 2024. You know, we just came off of having the 2023 conference uh, basically a month ago. And uh, tickets are already available for sale. So the website there guardianconference.com and we'll talk some more about that in a little bit and so without dragging this out more than is needless let's go ahead and introduce you to our special guest gabe new hello gabe hey riley thanks for having me i'm glad to have you man and uh i mean you actually you actually messaged me and like hey man you know if you ever need a guest i was like yeah, you know what? Good timing because I actually could use a guest this week for the for the show, uh, <laughs> and it's you know it's also one of those things too. This happens to me all the time. It's like you know how come I haven't had you on before? So I actually really appreciate when people you know ask uh, you know for uh, hey you know just just letting you know I'm available kind of thing. Certainly appreciate it. I've had other people are like, Hey, you should really have me on my podcast on your podcast. Cause you know, I like know stuff and stuff. That's not how you, how he came about it. You're just like, Hey bro, like if you ever need somebody, I'm like, yeah, I much more appreciate that approach than, <laughs> than, you know, some, you know, uh, well, egotistical, maniacal, you know, uh, Instagram famous shooter or something, but, uh, anyway, no, I'm not, I'm not IG famous. They don't, they don't like me on Instagram, but, uh, the, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. So yeah, I'm not, I'm, I don't think I'm, as I get older, uh, you know, the, my best trait is my humility. What can I say? <laughs> well, and I can attest to that. You are a humble guy and, uh, yet also a very knowledgeable guy. And I hope that people, I actually, I'm confident that'll become clear after uh, we're done with this episode, this interview here today. Gabe, uh, for those that don't know you, and I know that we already have, I, I th- in fact, the very first person that checked in via the comments is Mark Oknianski, who's, uh, you know, b- been Hi, Mark. with us for, for years and has attended the Guardian Conference himself. Uh, and, and yeah, Mark. He's like, I know that guy. So our first commenter is one that knows you, but I suspect we have a lot of people that don't know you. So why don't you uh, tell us a little about a little bit about who Gabe New is? Well, um, yeah. So you know, kind of riff off your comment of of the fact that I'm knowledgeable. I, I appreciate that. That's very flattering. But I, I've been asked uh, how I got into instructing, and I I like to say that I 
grew up uh, in, a, in a very firearms friendly home. And, and so being a, being a Texan and a man, I just assumed that I knew everything I needed to know about guns. And till one day, um, my son was, uh, I don't know, he was in diapers. Let's put it that way. He was in diapers and I was doing some dry practice uh, with my pistol. And so he took his plastic gun and he, he stuck it down the front of his diaper and he, he started pulling it out, you know, just like me. And I was like, man, this is, this is awesome. I'm going to teach him everything I know. And I swear God just looked down at me and laughed and said, but you don't know anything. I, I swear I heard it. I was just, was just like, oh my gosh, I, I don't actually know what I'm doing. I think I'd taken one pistol class and uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I was a little better than average because I, I shot more than average, but um, it, God just smacked me upside the head and said, man, you don't know anything. And so I stopped right there. And I was like, okay, you know what? I've got to get serious um, about actually learning instead of just flattering myself that I'm so great. And I uh, just dovetailed at that time that I was uh, getting out of farming and into making holsters. And so uh, then having a business that was able to write off that uh, training as a legitimate business expense, that really paved the way. So I made holsters uh, professionally for about eight years and started training, not the first year because I didn't have any money. I was very much a starving artist and uh, started training basically the next year. And so I, I don't know what I've got now, but um, it's, it's more classes than than average, probably not more than you, I'm sure, but uh, I think I'm about 650 hours of classes. So it's, um, that has basically paid the way for me to, to do that, take it from a hobby to a professional level. Um, and I've just, several years back, I did get uh, NRA certified uh, to teach pistol because I needed that for insurance sake. John Korea invited me to, to show up at his very first ASP conference, uh, Bullets and Bibles in Arizona. And so I needed that. That was, was kind of eye-opening, um, not because it was super in-depth on skill or anything, but just uh, learning how to teach other people was was the big one there for me. And I went from there as, as uh, time and finances allowed. I, I became Range Master certified. Uh, fantastic course. Tom Gibbons is, is incredibly knowledgeable and uh, I would recommend that route to anybody who wants to become an instructor. And uh, in January of this year, I was able to take his advanced instructor course, and I hope to, to continue on and, and do more there. But, uh, yeah, that's basically my story. So having kind of gotten out of holsters, I, I still want to improve the Second Amendment world, so to speak. And so I, I started a YouTube channel and uh, just trying to put out good information that way. So. Yep. Uh, well, again, because you're so stinking humble, uh, you mentioned starting a YouTube channel, and the YouTube channel is Pujitsu, which I think is a genius name. When I first learned of it, I was like, "Oh, that's that's so good." Because you're also a BJJ practi- practitioner as well, right? I am. I am. Yeah, and I know that you have your kids involved in BJJ as well. Uh, so there, there you go, Pujitsu, folks, on YouTube. Yeah, I got, the, I got, the, I got the slaps right here on my water bottle. Yeah, this is actually a relatively new water bottle, uh, and uh, on here I have our own KSG Armory sticker, and then Gabe hands me his Pugitsu one, 
at the ASP conference just a few weeks ago. And I was like, boom, that's going on, bro. That's, that is, that is water bottle worthy right there. <laughs> Love it. Gotta stay hydrated. And so I think of my man, Gabe, every time I pick it up. <laughs> Mark, you're right. You need that sticker. Maybe, maybe Gabe can come up with some clever way of how you might obtain one. <laughs> mm. I feel like there's a, a shooting challenge in the works here. I think so. I definitely think so. See, that's the other thing. So uh, I, I know that you're selling yourself short. Um, you know, I've, I've seen you shoot, Gabe. I've, you know, both in person at, at conferences where we've both been in attendance, but also um, on your YouTube channel. You know, you've tackled a number of different uh, shooting drills and shooting challenges and things. And you've even shot my uh, pistol intelligence standards, which I'm very appreciative of. And uh, you're a good shooter. Like you're, you're definitely well above average in terms of shooting skill. And so clearly the uh, work uh, has paid off and is evident in uh, not only the, the classes that you've taken, which certainly helps when you take good classes from quality instructors, but also the hours of practice and dry fire and all of that, 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 uh, you have done. And so, um, yeah, it's just like, we got to make sure people know, like, get, like you, you know, things, dude, you're just a lot quieter about it than you probably ought to be. Uh, so we, uh, we actually talked about, uh, talking about, what is good enough for the topic of our discussion here today? And I think we'll come at this from a variety of angles. Um, and, and I think I want to save what I would think of as is, is the best for last. Um, but the truth is, is that's probably oftentimes the least interesting part to a lot of people. <laughs> and by that, I mean, you know, a lot of times people are, and it's just the, the way it is in the world, uh, the way it is with humans. Uh, we tend to be far more interested in things than in how to get better at doing things <laughs> because one of those requires work and the other one just is an expenditure of cash usually. Um, and so let's, let's, let's go ahead and start with that and let's get the, let's get the, the, the meat out of the way <laughs> that, you know, and save, I guess the, the milk for last. Um, so skill, how good is good enough? And I know this is something you've given some thought to, and I, I know I've even heard you talk on it a little bit, um, you know, touching on some things, even in some of the videos you've done. Um, and so where do you want to start when I ask the question or, or make the statement, I guess it's a question, how good is good enough from a skill perspective? How do you interpret that in your view of the world? Well, I, I want to start by saying I'm, I'm not, I'm not to carry police. I, I don't, I don't have a standard and say, well, you have, you have to meet my standard or you just shouldn't carry. Um, you know, that, I'm a big believer in freedom. So I, I do think it's important um, to be safe. And I love the way John Johnston phrased it when I asked him this question. He said, uh, you know, if, if, if a loved one comes to me and says, how good do I have to be? Uh, his response was, well, I think you should be good enough to not make the situation worse. Mm. And, and that's some, it, it's deceptively simple there on the surface. And yet, 
it's something you see a lot in the news that somebody pulled a gun when they shouldn't. They made the situation worse. Or, or they just, you know, their accuracy was so bad, they hit innocent bystanders. They're making the situation worse. So, so that's probably the start. But, you know, I, I started asking this question of instructors um, several years ago. I don't remember exactly when, but I've, if I haven't asked at least 50 instructors uh, their opinion, we're talking, you know, well-known USA famous, at least, instructors, and the general consensus, because my, my question kind of evolved over time. I started out with, what is this physical standard of how good is good enough? And, and it kind of evolved as, as I got their feedback to, you know, what would you want a loved one uh, to be capable of, which is a little more uh, generic and kind of gave them more room to answer. So I, I got, I've gotten this gotten a wide range of answers from them. And early on, because of the way I was asking the question, it was, it was usually something along the lines of, you know, the, the five by five by five drill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can you put five rounds in five seconds at a target uh, five yards away into a target that's five inches, a five inch circle. And that's a good drill. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and some people would add, uh, do it five times for consistency's sake. That's good. And basically some variation of that in terms of physical skill was uh, a standard, being able to draw and put uh, three rounds in three seconds at a target into the A zone at three yards away. Uh, So kind of continuing on the theme. Um, You know, then uh, Lee Weems said um, that he wanted people to understand the legal aspect, that you're, you're not just, you know, a gun is not now the solution to every problem, and that there there are legal there are legal limits and some pretty strict ones. If you if you mess up, um, you can have some pretty serious legal liabilities there. So that was another aspect. And of course, uh, Craig Douglas, being the the well-rounded gentleman that he is, said he wanted to see uh, a rough parity between uh, shooting well, fighting, and speaking well. And so that's a good one. Um, but, uh, yeah, how good is good enough? I honestly can't answer because I think we have every year we, we have lots of instances where people with no training whatsoever, uh, not, not even necessarily with a license, uh, they use a gun in their self-defense and it doesn't even require shooting. So just having a gun and pulling it out, zero skill, and yet that was enough. I don't think we have an average of saying this is what you're going to need. I do think, as John said, we want to we want to not make the situation worse, right? So we want safety. We need to understand um, safe gun handling. That's that's the, probably the first thing because when we pick up a firearm, it is a it's a deadly weapon. I mean that's what it is. It, we always like to to kind of say, well, it's a tool. It's not a you know, but yeah, no, it, it's a deadly tool. Uh, and um, I think that probably one of my one of my biggest complaints with Cooper's rules there is, you know, when he says all guns are always loaded all the time, uh, people take that as a suggestion for how they should treat their firearms instead of um, a caution against how they should handle their firearms. Well, if I have a gun, it, it must be loaded. No matter where it is, it, it's going to be loaded. And I don't think that's wise. Mm. So... Uh, you know, you're, maybe the first standard should be safety. Um, 
our second standard should be the, the legal aspects. Uh, when I was when I was young and I first began to hear the concept of, of, of an equal or lesser force, I thought, well, that's not fair. I'm as a good person. Shouldn't I be able to use whatever I need to defend myself? Because I didn't understand that that concept, which is which is not just a legal concept. It, it's a moral concept that, you know, if some guy uh, slaps you on a cheek, you, you don't just get to pull out your gun and shoot him because that's not a deadly threat. That's an insult, right? Um, you know, when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, it's because it, that's all it is. It's literally a slap. It's This is not, you know, he's about to kill you and rape your wife and sell your kids into slavery. It, that's not a proportionate response to an insult. We can't just, you know, and if a guy insults you, yeah, we should be able to shrug that off and, and walk away. So humility um, is tangential to being good enough, I think, because if we walk around with a chip on our shoulder, then uh, we're going to invite a lot of problems that we, that, are, that are totally needless. Uh, so we've got uh, safety, the legal and moral aspects, and um, I guess that brings us to the skill aspects. And I think that's kind of a self-rectifying issue is, is just getting people to train because although I'm a hobbyist and, um, you know, you, you talked about my hours of dry practice, you, you, you didn't even know, but at one point I was, I was dry practicing three times a day. Um, that's probably a little excessive. You know, the average person is never going to do that. I don't do that now. In fact, um, I'm, I'm kind of ashamed to say that it's, it's been quite a, quite a while since I dry practiced regularly. I've been struggling with my health and, and energy. And so that's kind of fallen off, but in order to get skill up to a point, um, you, you have to show people what's possible and not just what's possible at, you know, the guy who dry practices three times a day, but for the average human, um, you know, you've got a soccer mom who's, who's busy. She's got she's got lots of things to do. Right. And so we're, we're all busy and we can all justify not practicing. And I'm not trying to do that, but the reality is most of us aren't hobbyists. Um, I asked Gabe White, how, how good is good enough? And of course, Gabe being the, the penultimate hobbyist, he, you know, and, and professional, I don't mean to suggest right. he's anything less, but you know, he, he wanted to, to go into, Hey, we can get people practicing and they'll see the joy in, in this sport. And, They'll just start doing it because they love it. And I wish that was true, but it's not. We can't all love and we don't have to love uh, shooting, right? I mean, how good at how good at driving is good enough? That's something we do every day. And thankfully, it's a skill that kind of grows with time. But I mean, it has a lot of the same consequences of gun handling, right? It's a life and death decision. We get out there and we're careless. Uh, we can kill people or, or kill ourselves. And so I my standard of how, in terms of skill, how good is good enough? I think that as long as you are measuring things um, properly, uh, you know, if you're if you're using a timer, if you're recording your accuracy, you'll begin to see, oh, hey, you know, I'm not nearly as good as I thought. Um, this is you know, something you see on you know, social media. Somebody will post a picture, and their their target looks like it was hit by a shotgun. And, you know, half the people in there, oh, it's good enough. He's dead. <laughs> I'm like, oh, guys. Yeah, but a lot of them missed and went on to hit innocent bystanders. Let's let's not do that. Um, that's not good enough. Um, you, you were under no time pressure and you still couldn't hit the target every time. So 
that's a skill level that's a real problem because we're back to not making the situation worse. So I keep kind of circling around. I haven't, I haven't obviously narrowed this down to an elevator speech, um, <laughs> but I think the, the cure is not so much setting a standard, but as letting people become self-aware as to how good they are or are not and how relatively easy it is to become halfway decent um, in, in order to protect themselves and not make the situation worse. So I just want to see people get out and, and train a little bit. Um, you know, I, I don't expect most people to become hobbyists and, and spend thousands of dollars a year because it's, it's not cheap to shoot a bunch. But uh, yeah, I, I guess my answer there is I just want them to train and they will begin to put that standard on themselves. I think that's a great way of looking at it. Um, there was something you said just a moment ago, and I was going to. Um, oh, when you said you know you were talking about and just how easy it can be to get you know pretty decent. Uh, say that relatively, you know. I, I I agree with you. I don't think it takes as much effort as what people probably think it does. Um, and I've got some thoughts on that, but I'd, I'd like to hear from you, you know, when you said that, um, what do you think it takes? And when, when you say relatively easy to get, you know, decently good with a gun, what does that look like? Well, uh, now that you've called me on it, I, I think the hard part is, you know, when you're starting from a position of ignorance, you don't know what you don't know. It can be difficult because you have to find the right instructor to get you off on the right foot. I would love to say that um, you could just, you know, watch some videos and then do some dry practice and you're there. But you're probably going to have to perhaps watch some videos from uh, people that are well established in the industry and well respected. And then with that head knowledge, go and find an instructor who will give you a basic class. And then you can start dry practicing because well, a lot of the dry practice I did very early on uh, was wrong. It was ingraining bad habits. And so I wasn't getting better. Uh, I thought I, I thought this was the way forward. They, they did correctly tell me that you need to dry practice, but they didn't give me enough information with that to do it right. Um, so, so in terms of how, how easy is it to get good? I think it's pretty easy if you get the right instructor right off the bat, and then you can take that home and dry practice. And, you know, 99% of your work honestly can be dry, which is basically free except for your time. And then you go back to a class and you verify that you've been doing it right get some tweaks from the instructor and then you can go back to dry practice again and your skill level is just gonna, you know, to the moon. So. Yeah. 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 I, I would say that one of the harder things for, especially, you know, beginning level folks is just knowing where to get good information. And I'm sure you have some thoughts on that, but I, I was just going to throw out there that uh, I think, 
that I mean, you can look to a lot of the people we've had on this on this podcast, and Gabe being Absolutely. one of those um, folks that teach at our conference be another great place and not just this last year but in past years i mean like you quoted john johnson well he taught you know two years ago uh as well as uh melody lauer and uh trying to think who else was there that year that uh wasn't this most recent one but you know so and that's because you know we we want to bring and expose our conference attendees to a variety of people and if we always just bring in the same people well then, then we're missing out on that you know variety opportunity but um uh, I think, you know, just the fact that you're here listening to this podcast uh, gives you a leg up on where most people probably are. Because, uh, you know, when I was just getting started in this, like probably like you, Gabe, I, did, I didn't even know where or with whom to start. Because, and granted, when I really first started getting kind of serious about carrying a gun and using a gun and shooting a gun, uh the internet wasn't quite what it is today in terms of just the sheer gross amount of information that's out there. Uh, like YouTube was barely a thing for me at that time. Uh, so I think a lot of my early knowledge came from gun magazines. And what I've learned over time is that there's there are some writers in some of those gun magazines that that do a pretty good job, and there are some that honestly don't shoot that good, <laughs> especially with a pistol. You know, they might be really good in their job as a as some kind of you know uh, editor or writer of you know with with respect to hunting or shooting a bolt, you know, action rifle or something. Uh, but uh, you know, when they opine on their thoughts on you know how to shoot a pistol properly. You know, at one time I was reading those articles. I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah. You know, and pretty soon I'm just regurgitating some of the old FUD lore. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> and I know you know what I mean. So just, just the fact that you folks are, are here with us today, listening or watching this podcast, you got a leg up and, and you can start hopefully finding some really good sources really quickly. Um, and then, my other thing I'd add to what you said, Gabe, is, and I guess this is kind of, I don't, well, hold on. Did, I don't recall, I'm sure you probably did. But I don't recall you asking me the question of how good is good enough. Um, if you did, do you remember what I said? I, I don't recall what I did. Okay. Um, I know I've certainly had conversations with people, perhaps even including you. Um about this, this this sort of subject, and and I and I think my answer on this has probably evolved over time. And I think where I'm at right now today, Gabe, is and I think it's kind of similar with where you left us at, which was you know you kind of were saying, hey, if if we can just get people to train, um, if we can just get them kind of foot in the door, then a lot of this sort of sorts itself out because then they actually you know if they get interested in training, um, they're they're gonna find their way. They're going to get better. They're going to, going to improve. So my answer now would be good enough, I think, is the person that is continually striving to get better. And that's that's maybe a weird way of answering it because it doesn't, you know, because it's very uh, esoteric. You know, it's not very, you can't really put any numbers or facts or 
or metrics to it, but it's it's just if you refuse to hit a stopping point where you're like today is the day I'm good enough and you know whatever that is you know and I don't need to get any better then I think that's a problem I think sure. good enough is a, is a person that has a desire to improve over time and because if, if they have that then they, they will they will actually do that yeah um, I'm actually going to disagree with you a little bit okay yeah. I like the, I, I love I like the idea. I like the idea, but I think that we can kind of fall in that category of saying that basically everybody should be a hobbyist, that you're never good enough, that you should always be improving. And I mean, statistically, I, I don't think that's that really bears out. Sure, there's we can always uh, cherry pick some statistics. Uh, you're, you're stuck in the the Nairobi Mall, you know, and terrorists come in and they shut the place down and you're stuck. You're going to have to deal with guys with AKs, right? Like that's a whole different, you've got to be this good skill level versus, you know, dealing with one guy um, who's halfway across the parking lot and he's, he's got a knife, right? Those are two different skill levels, but can, could you ever really be happy about how good you are when you're going to go face a half a dozen guys with AKs (laughs) and all you have is a pistol? Or are you always going to say, no, no, I need to be better, right? Um, I mean, is the guy who is, I'm, I'm not sure how to, to give this in a, in a way that everybody's going to understand, but uh, I use, say, the Gabe White standards. You know, he's got a, a dark pin, a light pin, and, and then the turbo pin. And, I mean, re- realistically, if you're shooting at a dark pin level, you're pretty decent. You're not, yeah, you're, you're not a grandmaster, um, in the shooting sports, but you've clearly put in some work and you're, you're no doubt going to be safe. Um, you're not going to make situation worse. And as long as your other, as long as your other skills are also being developed, um, I I think it can be detrimental to say, well, we always need to be better. Uh, Mm. because again, we're kind of back to what, what about, you know, Sally soccer mom who says, look, I can't keep improving at this. I've got to do all these other things. I want to. I, I want to achieve a standard because I see that it's necessary. It may be necessary in my life to defend myself with the use of a firearm, and I want to be reasonable, reasonably good with that. But I can't just pursue excellence day after day after day, and I. I don't know that it's. I don't know that I want to put that load on somebody of saying, you have to improve. You just have to stick with it. Doesn't matter whether you like it or not. So you, you see where I'm going with that? Oh, I do. No. And I appreciate you countering me in that regard. Understand that my perspective in the world is with pretty much anything that I approach, <laughs> I'm always trying to improve. <laughs> That's just how I'm wired, man. It's like, like you know, I, I play the piano. Now, granted, I am not practicing like I used to. Uh, I am not pursuing that as uh, an endeavor that I'm probably really trying to get better at. Certainly more of a maintenance level, right? Um, and so what does that look like for me? Well, I probably practice once a week. You know, sit down for... 
30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour sometimes, you know, and I've tried don't even hit that every week, but doing that kind of maintains that level of skill where that, you know, and, and I arguably at one time in my life, I was better than I am now, but I'm, I'm happy with, with whatever place that is, which is pretty, I'm pretty decent on the piano. Um, but it's definitely not something that I'm pursuing. So, so I appreciate you calling me out on that because, uh, but I would say that in my life, like, you know, at one time, like that was like the focus it was like, okay, I'm gonna get really good at the piano. And then it was something else and then it was something else. And then, you know, then it's shooting. And then, so like, so there's, there's always these little things that I'm tackling yeah. and trying to, you know, they become my hobby for a time. Sure. I don't know and if this one's dying anytime soon though. You know, the, the shooting thing. No, I, and I'm with you there on the hobby thing. If if I enjoy it as a hobby, I really yeah, yeah. I really go off the deep end and yeah. and get into that. But I'm just thinking of the people who, about who don't Sally the soccer mom, like you said, who don't want to take this up as a hobby. Yeah, and yet they may still. Um, I hope you got it. I got it. it. Okay, got it. <laughs> got it. Um, yeah, the the people who don't want to take it up yet they view view it as maybe maybe a necessary evil. Even well, I don't want to have to do this, but. Sure. I have to, I I don't know. It's kind of like the way I view mechanicing. When I was younger, I enjoyed working on vehicles. Now it's just a necessary evil. If something breaks down and, you know, I think, well, I, I could probably fix this and save a bunch of money. So, you know, I dig into it. I go to YouTube and I figure it out, but it's not something I, you know, that's not realistically something I need to improve on the, well, got to keep, keep up my continuing education in the, Hmm. in the mechanic skills department right so um and also you know i I guess you didn't ask me this but i think it's related is uh you know their guns are really just one aspect of self-defense and a lot of people would be uh, well served to kind of you know follow that 80 20 rule of put in 20 percent of the effort to get you 80 percent of the way there and then move on to something else Uh, a lot of people uh, they're not carrying oc uh, they have no medical skills you know, stuff like that. So they have no hand to hand skills. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you could put in a little bit of time on that, instead of uh, continuing up that um, slope of, of firearm proficiency, then, then I would recommend it first. I mean, if, uh, unless of course it's a hobby. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, this is an interesting one, right? I, mean, I, I totally agree with you on the 80, 20 uh, principle there of the matter uh, because i think there's a lot a lot of truth found there um i think for and, and you feel free to call me out again but i, I kind of feel like to get to that acceptably good enough level say the 80 percent uh, that's going to require that initial 20 percent of of work um even in doing that 20 percent is not necessarily an easy thing and kind of requires some measure of consistency of effort um you know right off the get or off the bat um and i think we kind of have a question here i think that's uh or not so much question as a, as a comment but christy on on youtube is asking or saying she said for me i had to find my reason that came when someone tried to abduct abduct my daughter age four i think we should encourage people to find their reason before we're they're forced to see the reason what do you i mean how would you respond to that Mm. Well, I hope everything worked out all right, uh, Christy. That's that's terrifying. Um, 
Yeah. You know, I found, I found my reason in, in, you know, with, with my son who started dry practicing with his toy gun with me. Right. And I was always kind of aware of the, of that reason. It was just kind of a, a slap in the face of, well, you know, this is what might actually be needed and, and you're not there. Um, so I was, I was blessed to find that. And that's really tough because I think that motivating people out of uh, fear uh, alone is kind of the wrong reason. And so, so much of the marketing I see is, oh, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be facing terrorists in the mall and they're going to abduct your daughter and, you know, this, that, and the other. And these outlandish situations that I suppose they're theoretically plausible, um, but they're not realistic, you know, but, but I, you know, Tom, Tom Givens is really good about giving, giving stats and I cannot recall all those stats off the top of my head, but the reality is we are very likely, um, even if we live in nice neighborhoods, we're very likely to face some sort of violent crime and need to deal with that. So uh, Christy's very right. We need to we need to find that why and uh, do that, preferably before we need it. Um, but human nature being what it is, I'm not sure how to go about uh, motivating people, um, you know, without being over the top and and unrealistic and just being dismissed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What are some ways of getting people into um, the broader world of training? You know, that, that uh, we can expose, we may not be able to solve that question of their reason or their why, but, uh, you know, as, as I touched on earlier uh, about, I think, a challenge that a lot of beginning level folks have is just finding good sources of information and training. Um, what are some, I think we can address that to some extent, you know, for those that we are able to reach, what are some ways we can get folks into the, the world of training in a positive way? Well, I, you know, I, I think Carl Wren has, has done some really, really good work on that. And he has, he has a number of uh, half-day classes. You know, some, so many of the pistol classes, when I first looked at them, they're, you know, two or three-day classes. And you have to travel to get there. And it's really difficult. And so, obviously, if you're not anywhere near Carl, that's kind of problematic. But I feel like firearm instructors should be offering much uh, smaller bite um, courses for people. You know, a four-hour class you can do in the morning or afternoon, and uh, if you if you want to block out a whole day, you could take you know two classes consecutively there. But uh, making it uh, cheaper and uh, more available is going to be a big thing. And of course, uh, we as as the Second Amendment community need to be need to be making it uh, basically a lot more fun. Um, we need to be pushing the education and safety aspects very early and showing people that, um, yeah, they're deadly weapons, but they're not going away. And so why not learn how to be safe? And in, in that, that's really what normalizes it. It, it moves that Overton window of, of social acceptability so that later on they grow up and they, they have this frame of reference. And, you know, so when their friend says, oh, we need outlaw guns. 
They can say, dude, don't be ridiculous. That That's not how life works. And you don't even need to be scared of guns. Here, let me take you to the range and show you. Mm. And so that's kind of a, a tall order, but, you know, um, be the change you want to see. Find some friends who are not into shooting and pony up the ammo for them. Kind of a big ask, but uh, <laughs> take them shooting. Mm-hmm. Show them how fun it is and, and how safe it can be. Yep. I, that's an excellent answer. What do you think about training conferences? You've attended a few. And what do you think about that as an experience for exposing uh, folks, uh, well, perhaps of all skill levels, but especially those that are maybe more on that early developmental end of things? I I love them. Um, I, I've, I've been now to uh, TACCON, to the Guardian Conference, which is you guys, and to the Active Self-Protection Conference, uh, all of them multiple times, and they are just uh, fantastic. Now, they're in one sense, they're maybe a little bit less accessible because they are three days long. Um, however, the, there's just so much more there. I, and I wouldn't necessarily promote those as, hey, you've never touched a gun. You should go to this conference. Um, uh, you know, maybe they don't even like guns. And then they've got three days of, of kind of trudgery as they learn to be safe. And it, it's overwhelming. Um yeah, I, I still think back to my first conference and it was, it, even at my skill level then, it was just like, wow, just mind-blowing all of the all of the new and different information. Um, now I, I have enough frame of reference that it's just like, yeah, give it all to me, baby. But um, I, so I wouldn't recommend it necessarily if you're brand new and have zero experience. But um, if if you are safe and, and comfortable, I mean, if you're still struggling to, hey, where, what, Where's my, where's my slide lock on this pistol? Where, how do I eject a magazine? That sort of thing. Then I wouldn't necessarily recommend going, jumping. It's kind of the deep end of the pool. It's a, yeah. it's tons of fun. And depending on the conference, it may work if they have a lot of beginners classes um, and you can, you know, and you think you're, you're ready to go do that. Then I'm not telling you not to, but I wouldn't necessarily be my, my first uh, choice for somebody who's just a total beginner. But yeah. yeah, they're, they're, they're fantastic. And I love them because, you know, I took a lot of two day classes and even when the instructor is really good about giving breaks, it's kind of breaks on, on his time. And uh, if you, if you struggle with that or the weather's particularly hot and you're stuck outside, that can be, can be rough. Whereas with the, the conference style, it's very much more of a buffet. If you say, Hey, I need to step out and and take a break. That's no problem because there's other classes going on. Even if you don't want to sit there, you can go somewhere else and just jump into a whole new bay or classroom and you'll hear something, something totally different. You can chill out and just relax and soak in, continue to soak in information. So yeah, yeah I love conferences. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I agree with your assessment. It's, you know, the, the ideal attendee is not the, you know, brand new, uh, you know, concealed carrier or, or gun owner. But, uh, I think of it as probably the ideal attendee is, I, I, I refer to them as a developing shooter. You know, they're mm-hmm. kind of past that initial hump of learning basic safety, basic handling, you know, that kind of stuff. They're, they're generally comfortable with the firearm itself and with drawing and using the firearm. Um, 
and, and, you know, they're reasonably accurate. Like they know how to put hits, you know, they don't have to be perfect, but they need to, you know, be reasonably skilled. And and like that person's probably going to get a lot out of a training conference. They're kind of ready for that next level, if you will. Um, however, I also do think that uh, some of these conferences, uh, you know, I think we work, we try really hard to uh, help even the beginning level folks too. Uh, like ASP does a great job of having a couple of like beginning level uh, shooting courses. I know you were helping with one of those, uh, maybe both of them even at uh, at the ASP National Conference a few weeks ago, where uh, you know it's kind of like test driving different guns and just seeing like what what's the right gun for me, you know? Because maybe I just don't even know. Maybe I haven't even bought a gun for myself yet kind of thing, you know? And and, and so stuff like that's really great. Um, you know, we, we're trying to do some basic level classes, uh, especially on, on Friday of the Guardian Conference um, to try to help out some folks that way as well. Um, I don't know if TACON would be a, somewhere I'd send a brand new <laughs> gun owner slash gun carrier. Uh, yeah, I'm not aware off the top of my head if TACCON has uh, beginner's classes. At this point, if you're a beginner, you're probably not getting into TACCON anyway because they sell yeah, out so yeah. fast. And I think they're giving um, kind of a, a heads up to their their uh, last year's attendees first anyway. So, yeah. you know, if you're brand new, you're probably not getting in. But, uh, yep. I mean, it's, it's not that the instructors aren't great. They are. They're, they're world class like some of these other conferences. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, you, you guys have been real good about having some beginners classes. I was able to take my wife to Guardian uh, this year, and that was that was great. She enjoyed that. Good, good. I, I would say though that even if you are, if you consider yourself to be just a a beginner, uh, and you wonder about attending one of these events, that even if all you did was attend, you know, if they if they offered one basic level fundamentals type class and then you took nothing else but like fundamentals or uh, lectures and seminars um, you'd probably still get a lot of value in fact I know people I've talked to that have said hey all I did was, a t- was take the lectures or seminars and I got every bit of that money's worth out of that event uh, I would say that's absolutely true of of honestly I think of the Guardian Conference of the ASP National Conference and even probably have tack on too. Although some of the subjects they talk about there might be even still a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit more heady. But, but I, I mean, because what, what what are you going to get? There's there's classes on stuff like managing unknown contacts. Um, there's stuff on, uh, oh, you know, using OC spray, uh, hand hand to hand or combatives or uh, you know, like we we had uh, Paul Sharp doing it. You know, kind of an intro to. Brazilian jiu-jitsu type class this year. I thought that was really great. He also did some stuff on knife defense, which again, I thought was really great. You know, so you could just do all of those things. Oh, we had legal classes, you know, ASP does a great job of having classes on dry fire. Of course, there's medical classes at both the, the active self-protection conference and the guarding conference. So, I mean, you, you could fill your whole schedule with just nothing but these, these other kind of soft skills. Mm-hmm. And oh, get a lot of value out of uh, attending an event like this. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, for those in the know, you'll you'll kind of chuckle. Uh, my very first pistol class was out at Front Sight, and 
So I was like, ah, oh, what, what am I going to learn? You know, and, yeah. you know, being, being so arrogant in my ignorance, I thought, oh, I won't, I won't learn much, but you know, they're really pushing it. So I'll, I'll go. And I, I did learn some good things. I also, uh, shall we say, learned some things that just ain't so, but, um, you know, that aside, I was, I was really chagrined. They're like, well, if you're a first time attendee, you are required to sit through this lecture. And I was like, dude, I don't sit through this lecture. I want to go shoot. And then I sat through the lecture. I was, it was, you know, it was that mind blowing experience. Wow. Okay. There is a lot of other stuff that's very important as a gun owner that I should know. And that was primarily a a legal thing. Um, But yeah, the, the lectures there, they are often underrated by first time attendees, but they're great. Um, Yeah. You, you could just show up and, and uh, just take lectures and absolutely get your money's worth. Unless you're one of those arrogant people that, you know, thinks you know it all already. So, yeah. Tori on YouTube says, I'd like to make it to Guardian next year. Well, good news, Tori. Uh, I'm going to transition to official ad read now. Uh, you can make it to the Guardian conference next year. Tickets available right now. Uh, I think we've we've talked enough about the idea of conferences and, and pluses and minuses. And I hope, folks, that you'll want to join with us um, for next year's Guardian Conference in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And I mean, folks that have been generally have a very positive experience. I, you know, we get the feedback from back from folks and, you know, they want to come back again. And in fact, I can tell you already, as I mentioned, tickets are already available for sale. Uh, We, I don't know that we have like an official true sellout number, but I would say based on where we think our sellout point is for next year, we're already more than halfway sold. So you might want to consider jumping on guardianconference.com uh, sooner rather than later. We do have early bird pricing right now. That goes up over time. And so now is really the best time. And it's not like you have to do it you know, today or this week. Um, but in the relatively near future, you're going to want to consider heading on over to guardianconference.com and getting yeah. those early bird tickets today. Yeah, and if if I can just chime in, let me let me say for the people listening that Riley did not ask me to say this, but I I really do think that the Guardian Conference is probably your best financial value of the three conferences that I've been to, um, because they make it so easy. They provide uh, you know meals, not not everything all the way around, but they provide enough that you don't have to stress about that. You don't have to worry about the extra cost of meals or anything else, and so. That alone um, just makes a big difference. The venue there is great, and and I love it. So if you're thinking about it, Tori, I hope to see you there next year. Um, it's just fantastic. I appreciate I would, I would that. Wholeheartedly endorse the Guardian Conference. I appreciate you sharing that. And, it, yeah, it, it's important to us that we make the training experience as as easy as possible. Um, that's why we – I mean, we – you can show up in the morning uh, if you're, I mean, we have folks that stay on site, maybe not a ton of them, but we have a few. Um, they don't even have to bring breakfast. Like, it's not like we'll have, uh, you know, eggs, bacon, and, you know, uh, uh, biscuits and gravy or anything. But, but uh, you know, we got we got enough stuff on site in the morning. You can grab a little bite to eat, grab some coffee, some milk, some orange juice, whatever you prefer. And then lunches are provided. And then if you're a Guardian Nation member, which honestly, most conference attendees end up becoming a Guardian Guardian Nation member because by so doing, you end up saving more money uh, by, you know, just just to get the ticket of the uh, for the event. Um, Then you guess what? You got you got dinner 
for you know our VIP uh, dinner, which is open to Guardian Nation members. So you got at least one dinner dinner provided, and then uh, uh, usually one of our sponsors. In fact, this year we had three. We had uh, the VIP dinner, and then we had two of our big sponsors, CCW Safe, providing a dinner on one of the nights, and then also another sponsor that provided a dinner on uh, the the final night of the event. And so, you know, I mean, if you can if you can drive yourself there. You can camp on site for free. I can even show you where there's some showers on site if you want to hit a shower. And you got dang near most of your meals covered. So, uh, yeah. Oh, and then we work with a good ammo uh, provider. This year was uh, Supervel, and I think we'll have them back next year. And you, know, you can order your ammo and just and have it on site when you arrive. So, super important to us to make it as easy as possible um, so that you can focus on the learning and the training and uh, just get yourself there. So, <laughs> Tori, I just bought a new tent. Yeah, dude, bring the tent. <laughs> All right. Um, I honestly spent a little more time on that uh, initial kind of topic, if you will, Gabe, than than I think I expected. <laughs> but uh, let's let's kind of shift gears a little bit here and spend a few minutes. Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on the following subjects: How much gun? is enough gun mm. how much <laughs> ammo is enough ammo and oh i think you know by this we're, we're, we're thinking of you know like you know hey is my five shot j frame gonna get the job done or do i need to be packing around you know 20 round extended mags with two spares on me okay that, that i think that's you know not not how much ammo should i be stockpiling right now which i know people are thinking of doing that um and then how concealed is enough because i think this is an interesting topic that people you know debate quite a bit and kind of well a little bit of printing no big deal you know so i'd love to hear your thoughts on how much gun is enough gun how much ammo is enough ammo and then how concealed do we you know like again i don't think you're the concealment police just like you said you're probably not the you know the the gun training police but i'd like to hear your thoughts on those subjects no I, i do have some strong feelings on it even though i you know um I remember who said it. he says I'm I'm very much in favor of the right, but not the practice. I think it might have been Spencer Keepers, um, and, and I would agree with that. Um, if you want to open carry, you have the right. I don't think that's wise. I think we have enough data out there to to say that. Um, yeah, it's you know a little bit like locking your doors. You may dissuade a few of the the casual people, but you're also um, one thing we can't argue at this point is is that it makes you a target for some other people. And so, and I really don't think that it does um, what the advocates say it does. And that's that it, you know, kind of inoculates people to guns, that they're moving over to the window in a good way to um, make it more socially palatable. I don't think it does. I think people look at that and they're not, they're not emotionally moved in a good way when they, when they see that they don't look at you and go, well, he's not committing a crime. Therefore uh, gun owners must be, you know, wonderful people. That's probably not what's going on there. I think that the way we move that window is, um, like I said earlier, we, we take people shooting, find somebody who's opposed to guns and say, Hey, look, I know you're opposed to guns, but let, let's talk because you know me as a, as a good person, you know, let me introduce you to this and show you why it's not the horrible thing you think it is. And let me address these again out of order. Uh, how much ammo is is enough in terms of ammo? 
I mean, mostly I just want people to, to use um, something with enough penetration that, that's going to pass the, the FBI tests. Uh, I think that's about 12 inches. You know, somebody's going to correct me on that, I'm sure. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not the numbers guy. Uh, I look for, I, 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 I research what I'm going to carry, and then I forget why I chose it. And so um, <laughs> forgive me if I'm wrong there. Oh, but no, you're, you're spot on. That's that's look, the minimum. Is uh, Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's it, Basically, it's 12 to 18 inches is what's considered ideal. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. So in terms of quality ammunition, I, I just go for some good quality defensive ammunition. Um, I do carry the, the HSTs in my in my 9 mil. As to how much, uh, well, I guess the, the next question is beyond quality of ammo, how, how many rounds might we need? Again, I'm not the carry police, um, but I would suggest... You know, sometimes people throw on a uh, throw on their big gun and uh, go for, you know, they're just going to run down to the corner store. That's probably not where you need your big gun, ironically. Um, you know, statistics, if we want to go off the of statistics, you should probably have a big gun. Maybe you don't have to carry it at home, but you need to have it very available because uh, a home invasion is far more likely to have uh, multiple assailants who are who are armed. Um and, and prepared to do violence much faster than, you know, the robbery down at the convenience store, right? So if you're, if you're going to run down the convenience, I'm not saying this is what you should do, but it seems like statistically a small gun and a whole lot of um, situational awareness and uh, social fluency, shall we say, not, mm-hmm. not being a jerk, uh, not being arrogant, and, you know, just seeing situations develop ahead of time that's probably going to keep you safe down at the corner store more than a big gun. Um, but in terms of ammo, I did recently um, talk to somebody who uh, was involved in a defensive shooting and I was at a, I was at a fireworks stand and he, he wasn't the proprietor or anything. He was just kind of around the corner and two guys went to rob the place. And I don't, I don't know if he had to be involved or chose to get involved, but he was carrying an XDS in 45, so he had eight rounds. He used all eight rounds, went to slide lock, doesn't remember firing most of them. One of the guys that, um, one of the perps was just carrying a pistol, and he, he split, like, right away. And the other guy had an AR-15 pistol, and the only reason the good guy's alive is his AR-15 pistol jammed. And he, he hit this guy, you know, a couple of times. One of them uh, went through and hit his spine. And so he he was, you know, an instant paraplegic down on the ground. And, you know, but but he, he was still fighting hard. Um, he actually crawled off into the darkness through a field and got across a highway. I mean, he's literally, you know, hand over hand. He, he just wasn't quitting. Lieutenant uh, Dan. He'd already been in prison once, and he knew he was going back, and he really didn't want that to happen. But what I'm saying is this guy had eight rounds. Now, we might chalk it up to the fact that he probably wasn't very accurate because, you know, he admitted he didn't remember he didn't remember seeing his sights or anything. And uh, his, his eight rounds got him through, but it wasn't because he actually stopped the attackers. It was, it was psychological uh, on one of them, and then... He, he got a lucky hit on the other, um, but but that was combined with the fact that the other guy's gun jammed. If it hadn't jammed, he he would probably be dead. And so he he recognized that, and he promptly, of course, 
probably has a pretty good case of PTSD from that and promptly went up to a, a G19 with a spare mag. And so all of a sudden he's carrying, you know, at least 30 rounds instead of eight. Um, right. It he did me. 45, oh, the magic death ray that he kind of maybe envisioned and he switched to a, to a nine uh, just so he could have more rounds. Um, yeah. I, and I know that's, that's an outlier, right? Because how often do, do we see people pull a gun? They don't need any rounds. They just need a gun and they need enough distance and that, that stops them. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm, I'm always haunted by, and this is just for me. I'm not telling the rest of the world how to do it, but I'm haunted by the guy who he and his wife were hiding uh, in a kitchen in the Nairobi mall because they were eating there in the food court when uh, these terrorists took over and they ha- all they could do was hide and they hoped that, that they could, you know, wait and get out. Uh, they couldn't. Uh, they, they basically locked the place down. And then they sat there and they swept back and forth, just shooting people as they went. And security, the security footage caught that, you know, they came around the back and found these people and shot them. He didn't have anything, obviously. Um, but the reality is we might face... Uh, something much worse than just, you know, a single attacker who, you know, may or may not even have a working pistol. You never know what it's going to be. And I, I hate to depend on that, the old trope of every gunfight is open class. It It is. But of course, we have to make that fit into uh, our regular everyday life. You know, sometimes we want to dress up. We want to go out with our spouse to a nice restaurant and we're not going to strap on the biggest gun that we can carry. Right. That's, that's not reasonable. Um, I do think that having a higher level of skill with a small gun enables us to carry less gun because going back to what I said earlier, we've measured that we know how capable we are at certain distances and what we can get away with. Um, and you're more skilled people. and you can probably make those, each of those rounds count more effectively. That's, that's right. But I, you know, I, I, I got to take the family to Argentina a few years back and we couldn't take a gun. And there was, there was one time that I felt like, man, we're in a sketchy neighborhood and I wish I wasn't here, but that was, that was a planning error on my part. Mm. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of places here. You, maybe you go to a concert and you decide, well, I'm not going to be able to get through with a gun. Do I, do I stay home and with my gun or do I go enjoy this life experience? Yep. Yeah, you know, that's on yep. you. I, sure. We could all point to the, that um, concert in France where the terrorists showed up and killed a bunch of people. But let's be realistic. That's a pretty small chance. I don't want, I don't want to say, well, it doesn't matter because it's small chance. But again, we're back to that, that personal choice. And I, I think that skill is, is, a, is probably a single uh, biggest factor that we have personal influence over, right? We, we, can't, we can't decide whether or not something bad is going to happen, but we can decide how good we're going to be. And uh, so does that yeah. answer the question? Oh, I think that's great. I think it's great. I mean, and by that, I think, you know, I mean, well, let's, let's talk a little bit because actually there was a question. And so I think you can probably uh, address this a little bit because when we're talking about like, you know, when I asked the question about how much gun is enough gun, you know, and then we kind of 
there's a little bit of crossover there as far as ammo capacity, obviously as well. But let's let's talk a little bit, a little bit more on the idea of gun size. Um, I think you've touched on that a touch with the idea of, hey, obviously you know, the more skilled I become, um, you know, I'm probably able to utilize whatever gun I have a little bit more effectively, and that maybe gives me a little more leeway there. Um, but, uh, you know, Tori has a great question here. Uh, he says, is having two different guns going to create skill issues if they are of different size? I think that's interesting. I know, and I know you've got, I mean, I've seen you experiment with and try and, and demonstrate, you know, different of your, uh, shooting drills and things on your YouTube channel using, using different sized guns. And so I, I'm sure you have some, some thought here as far as like, training with using or even carrying different guns at times? Yeah, it's, that's a good question, Tori. And I think for me, the answer is that I want to carry guns within the family, like, you know, the, the, the SIG 365 family, you've got a, the regular 365, which is kind of a micro, you, you could carry that in your pocket. Um, and then the, the XL, um, you know, maybe get a full grip on it for most of us. And then, you know, all the way up to the macro, um, which is basically feel, it feels like a full size gun because, you know, if I do a reload, I don't have to shift my pinky around at all. It doesn't get pinched. So that's kind of, and, and they're all going to be, uh, very similar grip shape and trigger. And I think that for people who aren't going to put in a lot of work with multiple platforms, I, sorry, I shouldn't call them platforms. They're, they're just pistols. It's not a weapon platform that we can stack on. Um, but if they're not going to do work with things that are dramatically different, they should probably try to stick with that. You know, if you, if you're a Glock fan, carry a G43 for the times you really got to carry something small and then carry a 19 because there's a lot more similarity there. Um, I do get bothered when I see people, you know, talk about their rotation. They've got a different gun every day of the week and that's what they think is cool. But you know, one of those days it's a revolver. Another day is a striker. Another day it's you know a single action type thing. It's just like man, I, unless you can prove to me that you are actually going to be able to handle that difference really well, I don't think that's a good idea. Like I got away from the double action, single action because I didn't think I was going to be willing to put in the work um, to handle that double action first shot and then single throughout the rest of the magazine. Um, you know, the first shot's pretty important. Sure, it, under no time pressure, it's fine. But then you put it under time pressure. I wasn't, you know, thought if I can take all this time and master this one thing, or I could take all that time and put it into something else and get a whole lot better. So, mm-hmm. you know. I think that's some really sound uh, logic and advice. I'll just add my own two cents to that in, in just, it's just my observation of me and my own journey skill wise over the years. Um, Cause if we're talking more like size differences, Tori um, and not necessarily like totally different designs of guns. Um, so like the example I think gave gave was, you know, pretty solid as far as like talking like a P365 and like an X macro, um, which again, I mean, I, I heck I've got it. I've got it right here. I, I, I love the X macro in terms of um, what it's able to do. And it's, uh, you know, it, it gives me dang near full size uh, capability. Um, but still is 
pretty compact, you know, especially compared to, you know, well, like a full size P, you know, P320. It's, it's still, you know, a noticeably a bit smaller. Um, but like going back and forth between like more of that full size gun and the, and the small gun, I've done most of my training on full size guns or, or, you know, mo- mostly full size guns, let's say. And over time, I like that's, I think that's helpful in developing that skill because you're, you're able to just focus on the learning and on the skill acquisition because you're not fighting the gun so much, right? Um, and so I think there's benefit to that. But then certainly you got to spend some time on the smaller gun as well if that's something you're going to carry or, or use regularly. Um, but I think what I would say, though, in my observation is as I've gotten more and more skilled, the uh, dis- the disparity in terms of what I can do and the the performance differential um, and the and the amount of effort it takes for me to transition, let's say, from this gun to this gun or this size to this size, that's become less of an issue as my own personal skill level has increased. And so I don't think there's any harm in say, you know, I'm not trying to throw like specific numbers at it because I don't, I, I'm really just kind of pulling this out of nowhere, but just as in kind of an, a, an idea, a way of thinking of it, I think you can shoot 90% probably of your ammo with a full size gun and training but make sure you're spending that 10 or 15% or whatever um, also on that smaller, more compact or that carry gun of yours or whatever to make sure that, like, number one, you know how to use it. Number two, that that you understand your, your own limitations with it, you know, and all that. And that and that, that transition is not a big deal. And that um, I think over time, you'll find that you develop skill pretty quickly and you'll start to see, too, that gets to a point where it just starts to matter less and less um, the specifics of the gun you're using. Again, as long as you're not like making these, you know, going from a staccato to a P365, that would be, you know, that'd be a difficult change, I think. Um, especially if it was the, from the P365 to the staccato and not necessarily the other way around. Um, you know, just in terms of uh, just a very different gun to use. So, I don't know. Those are my thoughts. Um, we've been going at this for a little bit over an hour. Uh, I do need to mention that We've got a, our other sponsor I want to give a little love and attention to, which uh, it's you know, a little bit self-serving because it happens to be you know our company. But <laughs> uh, KSGArmory.com uh, for quality concealment holsters. I think you should go check them out. All right, go to KSGArmory.com. Um, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot, Gabe, and just, I don't know, you have any thoughts on using a holster from KSG Armory? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, for those who don't know, I, I founded KSG Armory uh, some years back, and you guys have taken that over, and I'm, I'm very pleased to see what you've done with it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I started the company with with probably not a whole lot of skill. I, I grew rapidly um, because it was my livelihood, and, um, yeah, if I sent you a holster in that first year, let me just apologize. <laughs> but uh, at this point... At this point, it's great. You know, there's there's a there's really only a handful of, of companies that I mention to people uh, that they should go look for, and um, you know, if those companies aren't offering your your pistol model, that's a clue as to maybe you shouldn't be carrying that pistol. But uh, KSG Armory is is definitely one of them. So appreciate that, and also the the subtle endorsement that you know what we're doing with your former baby and company 
pleases you. Uh, we want nothing more than to, to please the previous owner. So we'll continue trying to do our best. Um, I think that you know, a lot of people, like I actually just saw a discussion the other day um, in some group somewhere. And, you know, somebody was asking actually about another company. And that other company makes what I would call kind of just a cookie cutter um, holster, uh, meaning, and I know you know what I'm talking about, Gabe, like they, they just buy kind of the same old mold that pretty much any other holster maker out there can just go and buy. And without really you know making any changes to it to, to improve it or make it unique, not that you have to make things unique, but it's just it's just a cookie cutter holster. And the, and the, 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 the discussion was basically, you know, well, this this is this is like the best you know quality holster I've ever used, kind of thing, and I just thought that was interesting because it's like, well, yeah, but it's really just like any other of these, you know, dozens and dozens of companies that just do the exact same thing. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing, and I'm not saying like some of those guys do a great job, um, some do less good, but I think there's something to be said for a holster maker. And this certainly describes you, Gabe, and and what you created with KSG Armory and what we're trying to do carrying it forward. Is there something we said for thoughtful and purposeful um, design and application of design principles to a holster that I think helps make them stand out, especially on the the concealment side and on the performance side? I mean, we're talking carrying a gun concealed is I want to be concealed and remain concealed. And I also want to do it comfortably, right? That, that's important too. And then I also need to be able to access my gun when it's important to do so. And so yeah. do you care to add any additional thoughts to that? Or, Yeah, I think that kind of cycles back around your earlier question, which I'm not sure I actually addressed, was how, how concealed is concealed enough. Um, in, in terms of the holster makers, you know, the actual uh, mechanics of, of forming the plastic isn't that difficult, right? You can find that out pretty easily. The internet will give you everything you need to know. It's not, it's not the what or the how, it's, it's the why that really matters. And a lot of the people who are making holsters haven't trained. And so they don't know what they don't know. It's, you know, it's it. And thankfully the, you know, the, the rising tide has lifted all boats to some extent. Um, and so if they're just imitating what the, the companies who are really heavily investing into R&D are doing, then the consumer benefits. But sometimes they, they miss the crucial uh, little details that are there and, th- and they have no idea why and they'll, they'll argue with you about it because they don't understand it. Um, but back to how concealed is concealed enough um, you know, there's a couple of different aspects, right? There's, am I, well, thank you, Tori. I, I remember making that for you. Um, there's, there's multiple aspects, right? There's, there's legally concealed in a state where you have to keep it concealed. Most, most states allow for printing and still calling it concealed. Um, but that's not particularly important. What, what matters is, um, being concealed well enough that you don't get targeted for it um, by a bad guy. You, you're making your corner store run and they don't see it and decide, hey, not only do I get to knock off this corner store, I get to pick up an extra gun. Um, that would be a pretty bad outcome. I think we'd all agree. And, you know, people say, well, people don't notice. Listen, 
people notice. I notice all the time. It's just that people don't say anything to you. Uh, at, at church, you know, this past Sunday, I went to church. I saw four people. I was like, oh, they're carrying today. And you know why I was able to say that? Because I hadn't seen them carrying in the past. Like uh, two out of the four, I do see carrying regularly. But the other two, it's like, oh, he's either just started carrying or he's wearing a totally different outfit. And now he's printing bad enough that I'm picking up on that. And of course, you know, I, I watch for it. It's a hobby. But did I say anything to any of them? I did not. And so they might think nobody noticed when they did. And it's not just me. It's lots of people. Um, you know, Alex of the Suited Shootist will talk about the, the social friction and how he lost his job because somebody, you know, twigged to the fact that he was probably carrying at work when he shouldn't be. Um, but there's also, you know, hey, if, if Karen doesn't like the fact that you're carrying a gun, she can call the cops and that that's unwanted attention, even if you have every legal right to do so. Um, so I, you know, generally more concealment is better unless it's preventing your access. If it's buried five seconds deep, is that really useful? Probably not. Not certainly not for those interpersonal conflicts of, of robbery and the like. Uh, it, it might be useful in a, you know, in, in a more of a active shooter type scenario where, you know, you're, Unless you're the first target, you have plenty of time to kind of dig for it. But um, yeah, and they've, they've, they've got to strike that balance of being well concealed and yet still being uh, easily accessed. And that, that is one thing I see a lot. People are kind of going for, oh, I've got a deep concealed. Maybe you've got it deep and you can't hardly get to it. Put people on a timer and they're like, well, it didn't seem like it took that long. It's like, man, well, if you've never timed it, you, you might think it's fine. Um, you know, I, I ran the church security class a couple weeks ago, and um, the best guy was, with some work, able to get it under one and a half. But um, starting off, the, the average times were a lot, lot higher than that. And I think John, with active self-protection, has done some good work on how, how fast do we need to be. I'm sure it depends on your scenario, but if if they get distracted, how much time do you have to you know to run your counter? Right. You know, if they're if they're just glanced away from you, you don't have very much time at all. If they turn more away from you, you have more time. But you have to know how much that time is, because otherwise you're literally risking your life when you decide, OK, I'm going to go for it. And then you're too slow and his attention comes back to you. And, you know, then you're literally under the gun again. So. Yeah. Yep. Man, those are good thoughts. I really appreciate you actually. Um kind of bringing us back around to that part of the earlier uh, discussion and I think closing some loops for some folks. I think that's, that's really excellent. I think I've kept you long enough, Gabe. Uh, so, and, and we usually try to keep these to about an hour or so, but uh, um, I also Just don't, give me to shut up. I also don't want to tell you to shut up yet. If you, there's something else that's inside that big brain of yours that you got to get off your chest. Anything else that you want to throw out there, um, give some people some food for thought or touch on them, you know, that you kind of wish we had and we just hadn't gotten to yet? No, I mean, I, th I think you asked some great questions and and uh, I'm, I'm happy to keep talking if you want to, but uh, I don't have anything, any burning issues that I need to, to get off my chest. So <laughs> That's great. Um, I, I really appreciate you for, um, you know, doing this with us today on the show. Um, 
and I always appreciate just in general talking to you and hearing your uh, perspective on things. I, I think that you're very thoughtful and uh, smart in your approach. And uh, you've put in the, you know, you put in a lot of time and effort to learn and study this stuff over the, the last decade or so. Um, I think, you know, I'm ready to sign off, but I did have one other thing that popped into my head and, and I was thinking about it earlier and I wanted to come back to it again. And so I'm just going to ask you briefly and maybe we'll, maybe we'll do another, uh, and frankly, I think I'd like to have you back on the show at some point if you want to. And we could do, you know, a totally different topic, including this one that I'm going to ba- ask you about, which is, as a protect- practitioner of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, how good is good enough in terms of, <laughs> in ter- <laughs> and I know that's, that may be a loaded question <laughs> from, uh, you know, like, hey, can you give us a 90-second synopsis here? But uh, it's probably not fair, but can you just touch on that a little bit? Because, I, you know, I we've touched, we've we've... We've glossed over a couple of those other softer skill areas. I don't know if I'd consider hand-to-hand, uh, you know, a soft skill per se, but, but, you know, give us some thoughts on the importance of not just, again, using the gun for every problem. There's other, there's other skills that are involved here. What's your thoughts on stuff like yeah. uh, the martial arts? Well, first off, you know, one of the reasons I love martial arts is it, it gives you an option. You know, if, if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So when you have a gun and you don't have any other tools, uh, often people end up being shot that don't need to be, right? We just had the case of the annoying YouTuber sticking a phone in this guy's face and ended up getting shot. Now, I'm not saying that that guy wasn't a total jerk, but I am saying he didn't need to be shot. Uh, I'm not really a fan of the educational beatdowns. Just because the guy's a jerk doesn't mean he deserves physical violence. And so, you know, maybe if, if that, that guy had had um, some OC spray, if he really felt threatened, uh, OC is, is a much lower use of force. And if the guy had put hands on at all, then having that level of confidence, it says, hey, I, I can handle myself somewhat and I don't have to go, oh, my gosh, I'm in fear. Like, and I'm not saying he wouldn't be in legitimate fear necessarily, but it you know, uh, as the commenter just said, you know, stay being well regulated, your, your emotions are under better control because, um, when you get on the mats and you're put in uncomfortable positions, it can be maybe not terrifying, but certainly a little bit frightening. It's like caving when you're not used to being in a confined space. There's that level of, this is really uncomfortable and I don't like it. Um, you know, some, somebody who starts putting a lot of pressure on you from top and you're just going, I can barely breathe and this hurts. And after a while, you kind of get comfortable being uncomfortable and you're like, Hey, you know what? I can handle myself here because I know that any moment I'm going to reverse this somehow and we'll be all right. So that's kind of the first reason I love it. It gives you options. And, and you don't, you don't run around living in fear. Oh, oh no, I got to keep everybody in my 21 foot bubble. You know, this imaginary bubble of, well, I'll keep everybody away and, and then I'll be able to shoot them in time. You can't, we don't live in a 21 foot bubble. And so, you know, having that option is great. And, uh, how good is good enough? I, I don't know. In, in terms of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, I'm a white belt still. So, 
I'm not really qualified to speak strictly in terms of that. I did take some um, American jiu-jitsu previously, and yeah, the, the principles are the same, right? Leverage is leverage, but uh, the application is a little different. And then there's the aspect of a lot of gyms that you go to, they're pretty sport-oriented. Um, and even the ones that are more self-defense oriented aren't always working on the best up-to-date information. Um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the old, uh, if, if they have the curriculum at all, if they have gun disarms and knife disarms and the like, how good are they really? Have they ever really pressure tested that? And thankfully, uh, we are living in a golden age, you know, just go look up Craig Douglas and, and his stuff. He'll give you, you know, he's a trusted source and, and that's, that's the, the mesh there. Um, you got to find somebody who's both a high level practitioner of jujitsu and has enough gun skill to be a really good authority on that. Um, but I mean, I, I would, I would say generically, just kind of as, as a throw it out there answer, if you make blue belt, which is going to take most people about a year of consistent practice, I think you'll be so much better than average that um, that that's probably good enough. You know. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a pretty good assessment. Yeah, and as you mentioned, uh, Craig Douglas, or frankly any of that Shiv Works Collective, which includes like we had Paul Sharp uh, instructing at our event. Uh, last month, uh, who's who's a part of that that crowd, that group, um, and there's a number of other great uh, folks out there. And honestly, if you're looking to get into something like this, uh, including BJJ or other defensive uh, martial arts, uh, you know, it, it's you, you can always just ask for recommendations if you're not sure you know where to get started in your local area. Um, I, I've, I've done that. I'm looking to actually potentially get, get going in that, you know, on a more serious level. Um, rel- I hope relatively soon. I actually have one of my children that's interested in BJJ specifically. And uh, so hope to do that. And I've, you know, just, I'm like, Hey, Paul sharp, you know, Hey Paul, um, who do you, who, you know, who do you like in the Denver area? Did the same with Mickey shook, who is also, uh, you know, pretty well practiced in, uh, the BJJ, uh, stuff as well. And got a couple of recommendations there and, you know, good, sure. good places to start. Uh, cause just like with the, the firearm training stuff, it's, you know, it's one of the hard things is just knowing where, where's a good place to get started. That's not going to, you know, teach you the wrong sure. stuff or, you know, learn, uh, some bad habits. Yeah. And, and even if the only place you have is totally sport oriented, I would still go do it because it's a little bit like yeah. sport shooting fundamentals are fundamentals. How you apply it's going to be different. You know, having the wisdom that you don't just pull guard on the street and end up on the bottom, that, that would be dumb. Yeah. But, um, you know, you go and then you kind of get a frame of reference and maybe you move on to some other place later. So, yeah. yeah. Good stuff, man. Thanks so much for your time again this evening. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed uh, everybody this discussion with you. And uh, those of you that have joined in, in the comments, we've had, you know, some great comments and questions that have come in. So thank you for that. Uh, those of you that, uh, you know, well, we all pretty much use YouTube. I was going to say, those of you that use YouTube, it's probably most of you, uh, go, to, go to YouTube, search Pugitsu, and uh, subscribe and follow and turn on that bell notification and stuff for all of Gabe's thank videos. You, thank you. I think that you'll appreciate um, watching his stuff and, and uh, continuing to learn from Gabe as you have here today. Uh, anything else, uh, like, kind of plug-wise you want to get out there? 
Um, yeah, thank you. I, you can find me on, on Facebook and YouTube at Pujitsu. I don't really post on Instagram. They decided they don't like me. And um, I don't know, maybe I'm just too old for that crowd. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I will, you know, as mentioned early on, somebody wanted a sticker, uh, Mark, I wanted a sticker and I will, I will work up a shooting challenge and um, make that challenge. I'll send you guys a free sticker. So I stay dig tuned. it. I dig it. Awesome. Good stuff, brother. Folks, uh, you can, uh, of course, always contact us if you, you know, uh, if you're, you can always try to track down Gabe, as he just mentioned his social media channels and stuff like that. Um, you can always reach out to us as well here at the Concealed Carry Podcast um, with regards to anything we've talked about in this episode or just anything in general with regards to the podcast. Uh, just send us an email, podcast at concealedcarry.com is uh, probably the best way to get in touch with us. So, uh, one more uh, reminder and shout out of our sponsors of today's episode. That was ksgarmory.com and the Guardian Conference for next year, September 2024. Go to guardianconference.com. And with that, that's a wrap. So, until next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Mm-hmm.